From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the future of MIGS at ASERS 2017. It's almost like there's no blood. That's part of the problem is a glaucoma doc, when you first do it, you look at it and you say there's no way there's flow. And then you check the pressure and the pressure is like 12. First this. Want to learn about MACRA, MIPS, and running an excellent and efficient ophthalmology practice? You'll love iTalks Radio, the official podcast of the American Society of Ophthalmic Administrators. Let's get right down to the basics of MACRA. For those of you who are not familiar with this law, what is MACRA? MACRA does stand for the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act. iTalks Radio brings to ASCRS members, ASOA members, and even non-members practical information on human resources, government regulatory compliance, middle management, and productivity. Indulge at italksradio.org. That's E-Y-E-T-A-L-K-S radio.org. Italks Radio, the yang to my yin. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the 2017 ASCRS annual meeting in Los Angeles. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present some of my favorite interviews over a number of podcasts. Today we hear from Arsham Shaibani on the Zen MIGS device and Devesh Varma on the trajectory of MIGS. I'm here with Arsham Shaibani. Arsham, you give a really, really uh, nice talk, interesting subject. You know, MIGS, it's exciting where MIGS is now. Mm-hmm. It's way more exciting where, where, it, where it's going. Um, I think that, that as, as someone who, who does MIGS, mm-hmm. um, I like that the safety profile is really, really good. I wish that the efficacy of the stuff mm-hmm. that I was doing was a, was a, was a little bit sure. better. Um, and you showed a mixed device uh-huh. uh, where maybe we're, we're going to get that. Am I right? Can I, can I get to sort of flesh this out? A- absolutely. Me? I mean, I think we're getting closer. So what you're alluding to is the, the Zen implant. Um, it's the Zen 45 gel stent. You know, the traditional way or kind of our true way to lower pressure um, is subconscious filtration. So whether that's tube or trab, what we're trying to do is reroute fluid, not through the TM-based uh, outflow. And the problem is, as we all know, trabs and tubes can have complications with the hypotony. We have to incise the conjunctiva. Um, the Zen implant in the delivery system, actually, it's a, a novel way to essentially place a tube that connects the anterior chamber to the subconjunctival space and creates essentially what we call an ab interno bleb, which means um, it's created ab interno just through a clear corneal incision. Yeah, so talk, talk me through the 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 insertion process. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm used to putting in... Uh, the trabecular mm-hmm. uh, micro bypass stents, right, but this, right. this is a little bit different. It's very different, actually. I mean, I don't think it gives you any advantage whether you've done angle surgery or not, to be honest with you. Um, for one, we don't turn the head, so we don't use a gonio prism. If you use a gonioscopy mirror, it's just a mirror, uh, and I don't even think that's necessary. Um, what we do is through a temporal clear corneal approach, the injector is a 27-gauge needle. You drive it from the temporal approach to the opposite angle, and then you drive this through the angle, th- 
through the sclera into the subconjunctival space. When you deploy the device, that needle retracts and it leaves the implant in the subcon space and then also in the anterior chamber. So it's it's not critical what part of the angle I... I, I it, it's interesting, actually. So um, you know how in angle surgery we're always trying to get to the trabecular meshwork? Mm -hmm. Here you're actually trying to avoid it a little bit because you don't want to get reflux hyphema. So aim just a little bit more anterior. Just anterior trabecular meshwork between the TM and Schwalbe's line, per se. Um, and so it's not... We're not doing anything that's trying to enhance physiologic outflow through the TM. This is all bypass. Now, when 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 you say gel, this this is made of crosslinked collagen. Is that exactly. Right? Yep. It's a gelatin stent. It's um, crosslinked with glutaraldehyde, and that's just so it doesn't get absorbed by the body. So just you to know, make it permanent. No, no. I'm I'm glad that 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 you that you that you made that point. Is it permanent? It is. I mean, as far as we can tell. So we did um, some of the canine studies looking at the biocompatibility, and uh, it does not get absorbed. The material itself actually has quite a um, extensive history for use in medical use. It's not um, just the eye, and uh, but but yeah, in studies, and you're looking at patients internationally that are. Gosh, like maybe seven years out, six, seven years out at least that I know of, um, and we don't see these dissolving at all. And there's no signs of it for some of the ones that we've had to take out for revisions or anything. It doesn't look like it dissolves. What, what's the sort of of reduction in, in pressure that you're yep. getting? Because, I mean, with a, with a traditional tube, yeah. there's a traditional huge drop. Yeah, and it, it depends on the study. So the FDA trial that we conducted in the U.S., it was in refractory glaucoma. 63% of these patients had already had prior incisional glaucoma surgery, whether that was TRAB, Aquaflow, tube shunt, canaloplasty. So it's a high-risk population for failure. Um, starting pressures in the FDA trial started at 25 on an average of three and a half medications. And then the one-year follow-up, the diurnal IOP reduction, so not just the average, but diurnal reduction was um, down to uh, six and a half millimeters of mercury reduced. So about 80% of patients actually had a reduction of greater than 20% in IOP. What you see typically in the U.S. study is the average pressure went from 25 to about 16, from three and a half meds to around 1.7. In the European and um, international studies, we're getting slightly lower pressures because it's including a lot of people that don't have prior incisional surgery. So the U.S. study was actually a pretty um, high risk for scarring population just because 63% had already failed incisional surgery. So, you know, the, 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 I, I can see that for me that mm -hmm. the two barriers mm -hmm. to uh, my... Uh, um, and, and incorporating something like this generally what I guess is now called MIGS Plus, right. um, in, into, into my practices. Number one, I'm frightened of uh, hypotonia. Yeah. And number two, um, I'm not used, I, 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 in my regular practice in which I don't do trash, sure. I'm not used to managing bleb complications. No, that's absolutely true. So what are the bleb complications you're worried about? Like leaks, right? Yeah, le yeah leaks. Absolutely. And, yeah. Well, if you don't cut the conj down, that essentially is minimized to almost zero. Um, the, and blebitis. So blebitis is an issue now that comes from morphology where you get really bad ischemic thin cystic blebs. You just don't see those nearly as much. I mean, it's almost to the point where it's... Um, it's an exception to the rule when you do see a thin cystic bleb with this, this procedure. Part of it is you don't cut the conch down. You don't have to suture it back down. Um, the bleb is more posterior and diffuse. And we've shown on anterior segment OCT imaging and then just clinical photographs that it's almost like there's no bleb. That's part of the problem is a glaucoma doc, when you first do it, you look at it and you say there's no way there's flow. And then you check the pressure and the pressure is like 12. And you're like, well, you know, there is something moving through that. And you look and they're very – it's – 
it's a nice thin area. It's not focal like before. The other limitation, hypotenuse. Sure, we see numerical hypotenuse. In the U.S. study, it was 24, 25%. That's a pressure less than six. But as far as like choroidals, these hemorrhoids, that is extremely rare. There's nothing comparative prospectively, so I can't tell you, oh, it's better than TRAB or two. But I can tell you when you look at the prospective study on Zen compared to like a TRAB versus tube study, and say we say there are similar patient populations, the rate of choroidals is much lower in, in the Zen, Zen group. Um, but yeah, the blood management, the other thing about it is, you know, as a glaucoma doctor, we like to needle and revise blebs. Right. Um, you could add medicine back. I mean, there's different ways to do it. It's, uh, it's a truly um, kind of low invasive way to, to actually create a bleb, which is the gold standard for what we're trying to do for glaucoma surgery is make blebs. So if the, if the majority of my mild to moderate mm -hmm. uh, glaucoma cataract patients are, um, are being managed by conventional MIGs. Yeah. I can't believe that we're, first of all, in a day and age where I can use a, a term like conventional MIGs. Right, right. I think that's, that, that by itself is nice. Right. But um, are being handled by conventional MIGs. And then I have other patients who are, are candidates for TRABs and, and tubes. Yeah. Where in that Venn diagram it, it does this procedure fall? So me Personally, I can tell you the labeling you're going to have to go for refractory cases, so that could be interpreted as advanced, and, and that's what it was in the FDA trial. These are advanced glaucoma patients. Me personally, having experience with the device, you push the envelope closer and closer to even mild disease. I mean, I actually prefer it in a high-risk patient that's high-risk for hypotony, that young, myopic male, so to speak, um, because I have controlled flow. It's a consistent flow. And... In that Venn diagram, I think it kind of crosses over everything. It's so dependent, you know, how old is the patient? How many meds are they on? What do they tolerate? What's their pressure? What's your goal pressure? Um, and I don't think you can just say, hey, here's mild, moderate, advanced disease. We need to say, what pressure do we need and for how long? And then what type of risks are we willing to take to get there? Um, and so personally, even though it's off-label, I would be fine with it in a, in a mild glaucoma patient, especially if it's someone that might need um, filtration for, for years to come. Will the labeling be uh, just mixed? Is this something that, that can only be done during cataract surgery? Or no, that's the other thing. This is a real glaucoma procedure. The study was done as a standalone. There's no FACO to compound it. And you'll look, there's retrospective series coming out from different centers, and um, whether they do it with or without cataract surgery, the re results are actually very similar. So in the landmark um, APEX trial in Europe, it doesn't seem to be any difference between whether you do FACO or FACO, FACO plus the stent or the stent alone. That's really, really cool. That's really, I mean, it's, 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 it's wonderful that, that, we, that, we, that we have these uh, Absolutely. I mean, but, but the biggest thing, though, is we need to realize there's still, like, it'll fail. You know, it, you could still get subconscious scarring. And I think the next step now that we're starting to standardize the surgery is what other medicine, is there some other agent we can add? Are there different ways we can do the surgery to minimize scar tissue formation? But the beauty is we're actually starting to really cut back on the complications for patients. And I think that's, that's key. Really, really, really neat stuff. Arsham, I want to thank you very much thank for, you. For, for, for bringing this to us. This was really, really neat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I want to thank you for True. being so so very generous with you. I try with, with your time with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. I'm here with Devesh Varma. Devesh, you give a, 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 a wonderful talk, a sort of neat talk. Uh, it, you know, I, 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 I can't help but say it. You know, there, there, there's the famous line from Yogi Berra, which is, you know, that it's hard to make predictions, particularly uh, about the future. Um, but, but, you know, you've 
developed a, a, a sort of clever perspective to look at where MIGS is genuinely heading. Let me get you to talk about this and the parallels that you see between what we're doing and what's being done in other medical fields. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so the, the talk was called MIGS of Tomorrow, and the idea was can we really predict what MIGS of Tomorrow will look like? And if we use cardiac stenting as an analogy, we're tracking a very similar evolution. So cardiac stenting in their first uh, five years or so, they moved uh, into newer techniques, newer devices, newer materials, and, and we're now seeing that with the emergence of so many different devices. Uh, by the sort of 10, 10 to 15 year mark, they were starting to get into drug-eluting stents, and we now have uh, active projects. Uh, the Glaucos iDose, for example, they just completed their enrollment for phase two for a drug-eluting mix product. Uh, and we have other developments uh, going on in the other, the other devices as well. Uh, we may even see IOP sensing devices, and perhaps, uh, you know, it could be a dream, but a feedback loop between IOP sensing and uh, an increased flow or increased drug uh, release. And then around the 15 to 20 year mark, the cardiac stenting people had, had gotten to complex stents that could handle bifurcations and specialized drugs for post-stent care. And, and I'm hoping that we may see something similar, maybe 3D printed stents that can handle different patient dynamics and, uh, and be used in complex situations, uh, combination therapies, and perhaps some new drugs that, that'll be enhanced and, and, and appropriate for MIGS procedures themselves. Yeah, and I mean, it's sort of neat because for, for us, for, for me, it's sort of hard to see beyond the, 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 the next crest. Um, right now, particularly cataract surgeons who are looking at MIGS but have not adopted it in their, in their, in their own practice can be overwhelmed with a granted limited number of choices uh, that, we, that we currently have. But, you know, as you say, we're, we're in sort of version 1.0 now, um, and you can see where, where, where we're going to be moving uh, going, going forward. Now, in terms of devices that elute drugs, yes, we're seeing those in sort of very late-phase clinical trials now, things that are almost certainly going to be coming into a clinical practice. Do you see that, that sort of next phase after that in, in early clinical trials now? Well, there, other than the iDose, there's really nothing else that's, that's in, in a, at a clinical trial sort of stage. And they're, they're at a, a stage two um, uh, level in the revolution. But there are other projects that are sort of actively being pursued, and I, I think we'll see it. Uh, when we'll see it, if we follow the same timeline as cardiac stenting, probably within the next five years, I'm hopeful. But, you know, I guess I don't have a crystal ball on that. But, but yeah, I think you, we'll start You're a pretty good crystal ball here so far. Um, so, uh, and... You know, I I enjoy incorporating MIGS in, in into my practice. I think, and maybe you'll you'll correct me if you think think differently, that the longer that uh, comprehensive cataract surgeons hold out before adopting MIGS, the the more the 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 higher the bar is going to be when they when they when they enter it, and the more practitioners are going to kind of pass them. Uh, in terms of, of what becomes kind of s the standard routine care. I'm not talking standard of care, but just the standard that most people are doing. Um, it, it, it's, um, it's not to anyone's advantage not to give a serious look at mix. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think the fact that we have you know, safe, minimally invasive options now allows us to really intervene for glaucoma patients earlier in the spectrum. And we know that the comprehensive ophthalmologist, the cataract surgeon, they see a lot of glaucoma patients and they see them at an earlier stage. So uh, I'm glad to see some of these devices as they're evolving and developing that 
they're becoming easier to use. You know, we have newer generation inserters that are easier to use. Uh, the, the, the teaching and techniques around angle-based surgery and, and how to incorporate your practice are out there. And now with uh, the sharing that happens at these meetings and YouTube videos, I mean, learning has become easier. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll see more surgeons uh, performing these procedures, more patients accessing them, and, and we'll, we'll save a lot of vision. Devish is really clever the way that 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 you that you've that you've looked at this, uh, and and if only we had this 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 sort of vision and all the other you know myriad things that we're doing clinically, it'd be kind of neat. Devish, I want to thank you very much for bringing this interesting topic to uh, topic to us, uh, and of course for being so very generous with your time with us today. Thanks very much for having me. Arsham Shaybani is assistant professor of ophthalmology and visual sciences at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. Devesh Varma is assistant professor in the Department of Ophthalmology and Vision Sciences at the University of Toronto School of Medicine in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Ask questions of Dr. Shaibani, Dr. Varma, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.